Okay, as we go to the last part of this little series of lessons, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 16, just the last part of that. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Again, I know that verse 16 sounds a little bit tough, but hopefully by the time we're done here, we will clarify that. I want to bring the point that we basically ended with last time, talking about the task of ministers is to lay a heavy hand on the rudder of the church to help it steady, to help it steady it, and to provide doctrinal balance through faithful preaching and teaching. There are those who are set out to deceive. The ones who introduce false teachings to which immature believers fall prey are deceived themselves, and they lie in wait to deceive others. They make use of every device they can to mislead. They use trickery. They don't just lead you astray. They do it intentionally. There are ministers out there that know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they're doing. Oftentimes what they are doing is for financial gain, materialism. That's what they want, and they're doing it intentionally. I have said in the past, there are some that are oblivious to the fact that they are wolves. There there are some that are just doing what they do, and they have their own agenda and their own plan, and they become wolves because that agenda becomes more important than what God wants to do. And they don't necessarily know that. But the ones we're talking about here, they know exactly what they are doing. They lay deliberate traps to guide you away from the Christ that they do not love. Christ is not their priority. Reaching people for his kingdom is not their priority. It's what they want that matters. And they do not love Christ. They do not love you. The only adequate safeguard against the subtlety of heresy is a growing faith and an increasing knowledge of the truth. Ministers, the five-point ministry, must provide the opportunity for such maturation and thus ensure stability in the church. So it becomes the ministry's job. And because the ministry is not 
doing this. It is not concerned about maturing the saints and ensuring the stability of the church. Then this subtlety of heresy is is taking root and causing destruction within the church and keeping us from being the kind of Christians that turns the world upside down. We must have growing faith and increasing knowledge of the truth. It it is absolutely mandatory. Lastly, these ministers are to make possible the growth into Christ. Speaking the truth is actually derived from the word alethuo, or to speak the truth. That is what that literally means. But this is more than just speaking. It is living and acting. So it's so easy to stand up and just speak the truth. But when we truly make an impact on others is when we are living the truth and we are acting in the truth. Dale comments, truth was to be the life of all Christian men. That's gender neutral, by the way. That's just the terminology. The revelation of God in Christ was to penetrate and inspire their whole activity. Truth was to become incarnate, personal in them. They were not only to speak it, they were to live it. So as iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17, then one person sharpens another, and that is what should be happening. And you shouldn't just hear me speaking the truth. You should see me living the truth and acting on the truth. And so as ministers, that, that's how we make that growth possible to those that we have influence on, is that we speak the truth. We, we live the truth. We act upon the truth. And as we do that, then people will grow in their faith. They will increase in the knowledge of the truth. And then we can come against that heresy that goes on around us. And the living is done in love with the motives and disposition which love evokes. Some truth can be confessed harshly, can be harshly confessed and lived, but the Christian community must always express itself in love. The result will be the progressive movement toward the perfection of Christ, the head of the church. That's what we're doing. We want to see that movement, that progressive movement in those around us towards the perfection of Christ, the head of the church. And so we do that by teaching people in love. I have struggled with this through the past. I am very straightforward in the things that I say often, and I think we should be. This is not talking about running around with this mushy attitude. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. That is not what it's talking about. 
But we should have the attitude of realizing that we can tell the truth and do it in a loving way. I always bring up Jesus with the lady at the well. Uh, just a fascinating story to me. And as he speaks to her and he says, go get your husband. And I always pictured in my mind her trying to cover this up as she didn't really want to be fully honest with the Lord. Um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus just lays waste to her reality. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. Instead of her falling down in embarrassment and, and torment and shame, she goes and leads her entire community back to Jesus. Why was that? Because Jesus told her the truth, but he did it in love. We, we can, years ago, when I first started out, I was told as a minister, when I was doing my very first funeral service, I was told, you can't preach the person into heaven. Well, I agree with that. I agree that I can't take someone that lived in terrible sin and get up and, and present them as a Christian. I can't do that. But it also is not my job to preach them into hell. I leave that between them and God. I'll tell you what I often say now at funerals. I use that quite often. I can promise you one thing. If this person could speak to you today, knowing what they know now, they would tell you you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. Because now there's no doubt in their mind whatsoever that you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. So I'm telling the truth. But I don't have to present this person as a terrible, horrible bum. And I also don't need to present them as a saint if they were living in sin. You, you, are you following what I'm saying? So I present the truth, absolutely the truth. But I don't need to do that in a harsh and mean way. I think America is in judgment. I think we're just beginning judgment. I think the judgment that is coming is going to shake us to the very core of our foundation. And it may even destroy the foundation because we are no longer a nation with a Christian attitude. And, and that is the fact. But when terrible tragedy happens, I don't get up and tell people you were judged. Now, do I tell them the truth? Yes, America is headed into judgment. But, but we can present truth without being mean and harsh about it. I was, years ago, I, I went through and, and I don't have time or desire to explain all of that information, but I went through, I was asked into a certain group of people to do funerals for them. 
people that I consider them to be terribly in sin, an abomination to the Lord. And I told the person that was asking me if I would do this, I said, no, you don't want me to do that because I'm going to tell the truth. And they said, we understand that you will tell the truth, Mike. We understand that you won't back down from the truth, but we also understand that you won't be mean. You won't go out to hurt people. And so while you're telling them the truth, you will love them. And we can do that, not within our own strength, but within the power that Christ gives us to be like him. And that's, again, what we are trying to do. When we teach with motives that, that and the disposition that love evokes, again, let me say it to you, the result will be the progressive movement toward the perfection of Christ, who is the head of the church. Now let's look a little bit at verse 16, which it gets a little bit hard to understand, but let's try to break it down because it really isn't that hard to understand. The apostle is returning to the analogy of the body and uses it to emphasize the unity which Christ the head brings to the church. Now let me again just stop there so we don't have confusion or deception. We're not talking about worldly unity that is going around out there. Coexist is one of the big things that is going on out there. Just, just tolerate everything and get along with everything. That's not godly unity. And that's not the unity that he was talking about, Paul, or that we are talking about either. This is talking about unity, which Christ the head of the church brings to the church the wonderful complicated structure of the human body with its parts fitly joined together or bonded or knit together and compacted is this analogy that Paul is using. The, the body, the human body is just a spectacular creation and we didn't evolve from monkeys. Let me just insert that in for extra. We, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every part functioning, the tremendous um, detail of DNA, the, the fact that every part of our body is in place where it belongs. When the joint is mentioned, it refers to the ligament, which connects various parts of the body together. When the body is functioning according to the working in the measure of each part, when each part is active in keeping its purpose that it is set apart for, then harmony prevails and growth will be assured. When it doesn't, Sickness occurs. 
So when the body ceases to function the way that it should, and, and you, you realize the whole body doesn't have to cease to function the way that it should. Let's say that your lung begins to not operate the way that the lung should be operating. Guess what? That's not going to just affect the lung. That's going to affect everything in your body, your liver or your pancreas or your gallbladder, all of those things affect everything in the body. So the body is put together in a way that all parts need to be functioning properly or else sickness comes. If they are functioning properly, then growth will happen. So that's what he's talking about. That's how we get this turning our world upside down is when the body begins to function in the fullness of what God intended for it to do. Christ is the center, the source of all spiritual life. He is the head. It is him that brings the cohesion and the vital power for growth. This growth results in the building up of the church in love. The upbuilding has to do primarily with internal spiritual development. <clears throat> but when the church is internally strong, then she will also grow in the outward ways as well, numerically would be an example of that. So th this is, realize again, this is the spiritual life the one that brings the vital power and cohesion for growth is the head, Jesus Christ. And that growth results in the building up of the church as we, they will know you are Christians by your love. So in love, we are built up. And internally, God develops us spiritually, which will then cause the effect of the external being affected uh, as well. The unity is organic. It is not organizational. The real unity lies within and is the result of a healthy organism. The spirit not men, no matter how clever and personable they might be, creates the oneness. So God does not call us to follow behind some person that is supposedly leading us into unity. And believe me, they are out there. They are out there right now, and they are acting in many different capacities. The emergent church the the church that is purpose driven the these attitudes that tried to lead us into a pathway uh, of this external unity and and real unity does not lie in that it lies in a healthy organism when the body is healthy when the body is healthy we can have absolute disagreement with each other on issues like doctrine and, and ideals and, and, and agendas and those types of things and still be in organic unity with each other. I hope that that makes sense. 
when this unity prevails, participated in by each member, and encouraged by the faithfulness of gifted ministers. Again, this is not ministers leading people to themselves. It is ministers leading people to unity that is developed by our Lord Jesus Christ. The church grows to the, the amazement of the world of unbelievers. The church grows. Some of the fastest growing churches in the world are in some of the most persecuted countries in the world. And so we think often that church would grow when it was in the place where everything was going well for it. It doesn't. To the amazement of the unbelievers who have done everything that they can to crush the Christian community, ask ISIS, ask the Hindus in areas of India, ask Iran, ask the Communist People's Republic of China, ask Nigeria that has done everything that they can to crush Christianity. And it is in those areas that Christianity is blossoming and growing much, much faster than it is in the United States of America. So when this unity, this organic, not organizational, but organic unity prevails, and each member of the body begins to participate and they are encouraged by truly faithful, gifted ministers. The church grows to the amazement of the world of unbelievers. How do we turn the world upside down? We need to get back to that place that we talked about in part one. And it's not complicated. You don't have to be a Christian superstar to do it. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. And then he will hear from heaven. Forgive your sins and heal your land. And again, every person listening to me, no matter what your level of education, no matter what your level of ministry, no matter what your length of time in the church, every one of you and me too are capable of doing exactly what those verses say. So let's quit setting and complaining about what's going on and let's make a difference Let's begin to pray and ask God to give us the ability to turn our world upside down, not to set our church on fire, but to set us on fire, to cohesively mend our body together so that we can be the church of Jesus Christ that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And as we see that, as we do that, the world around us will become amazed at what God is doing in our midst. The government in Washington, D.C. will continue to be unraveled, messed up, out of order. 
but the church of Jesus Christ, the remnant, the true ones of Jesus that have gone through these attitude changes and we have come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our relationships with him to the perfecting of who we are, then we are equipped for the ministry and we can do what God has called us to do. And I'm truly, truly praying, my friends. I've been an evangelist. I've done revivals. And it's very disappointing to me that revivals don't happen the way that they once did. And I'm praying, God, send revival to us. Would you pray with me? Would you be that people that come between the altar and the door and begin to cry out to God, heal our land, heal our people, heal our churches until we become what you have called us to be, a body fitly joined together with the ligaments connecting us to the head who is Jesus Christ, our source our hope, our provision, that we are connected to him and our body feeds off of him. And because of that, we are healthy and we grow not in the physical, but in the spiritual. I hope that you will be challenged and I hope that you will move forward. Be those people that the world around us says the people that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. God bless you. Thank you for listening.